So um, Anne McGurn told me that when I got up here at the 9 o'clock service, her first thought was, that doesn't sound like Steve. So this deep, sexy voice you hear today <laughs> is not typical. Um, I have a cough drop in my mouth, and I pray fervently that it stays in my mouth. <laughs> if it doesn't, turn away. Um, <clears throat> it's that time of the year again when there's all sorts of great things floating around out in the air. And uh, they uh, like to nest uh, in my nose. So um, in light of that, let me pray. Lord, uh, thanks today that uh, as we um, look forward to the change of the seasons and we see um, the beauty uh, coming to life all around us, that that reminds us of your faithfulness, <clears throat> it reminds us of your care, it reminds us that uh, uh, the seasons come and go uh, according to your plan, and you are ever faithful in that. Thanks for the beauty that we see coming to life around us, and I pray that that would remind us uh, that our destiny in you is beauty uh, that never uh, ends or grows old. So help us, encourage us with that today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, So our text today is from Psalm 126. The text is printed in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. This is the Word of God, and we should hear it. And respond to it as such this morning. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So this is a a great uh, text for us uh, to look at today because uh, basically what it shows us and what it demonstrates to us is uh, really the way life works and and the kind of the paradigm of uh, of life because we uh, see here where God uh, delivers and and he does this great thing uh, in the first three verses and then in the last three verses, uh, the cry of the people of God is for him to do it again. Right. And so we kind of live in that stage of and that part of life. In fact, you know, where things are good and things are great and we laugh and we have joy. And then there are other periods of time where we don't. Right. (laughs) That would be great. It would be wonderful if all of life was laughter and joy. But it won't be that. Until we get to glory. So as we look at this this morning, and as we uh, uh, take this apart, this psalm is a great paradigm for us of what life really, really is like. <clears throat> so um, one of the things that I think about when I read this psalm is when, um, that was good, you caught that. I'm impressed. Did you guys catch that? Didn't you see what Rick just did? He turned it down right as he saw me cough. Now I'm tempted to fake cough. (laughs) But anyway, 
funny, funny, funny. Um, when I think about this text, um, I'm reminded of um, something that happened to us many years ago. And so uh, <clears throat> in uh, the late 80s, we struggled with infertility. Uh, we really desired to have a baby, and we were unable to. And then out of the blue, miraculously, we um, uh, we ab- were able to conceive. <coughs> and so we had friends that we'd gone to school with, friends uh, and family scattered all over the world, and we let them know that we were going to have a little baby boy and that to rejoice with us and that everything was was was, you know, that God had heard us. God had answered our prayers, and we anticipated his birth. And so that little boy uh, died right before he was born. And so we ran into this situation with our friends that lived all over the world. They knew that the due date was coming or rapidly approaching or had come, and they would call us or get in touch with us to say, Hey, calling to congratulate you. I know it's past the, 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 the due date. And so we had the, you know, the awkward thing of having to tell them uh, what had happened to us. And it was hard on our friends, right? Uh, I mean, it was, of course, it was hard on us to lose a child, but, you know, it, it was, you know, these folks, what do you say when you call somebody expecting to hear the best of news and you hear devastating news? And so what we did was, <clears throat> help our friends, was we um, um, uh, put together a birth announcement. And we sent it out, and, and it had on the birth announcement that great passage from Romans 8 where the promise of God to us is that neither death nor life nor any principalities or powers or anything can separate us from the love of God to us in Christ, right? We'd gone from joy to mourning, continuing to cry out to God to restore our fortunes, Right? As this text reads. Looking forward to and hoping in the, the promise of God and waiting for Him to fill our mouths and our hearts and our lives with laughter. And so about two, a little more than two years later, when our oldest son arrived, we sent out a birth announcement with this text. He who goes out weeping, <clears throat> bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Bearing his sheaves with him. We lived that. We lived that. Much of the Christian life, much of our lives in this world is living that, right? And so this is a great psalm for us to read and to contemplate and to think about as we head towards the latter stages of Lent and we move towards those great events of Holy Week and then uh, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ for us on uh, on Easter Sunday. So uh, let's 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 dig into this a little bit, right? So we don't fully know the context of Psalm 126. Older <clears throat> commentators fix this psalm as a psalm that was uh, sung by the people of God when they came back from the Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> and that, that seemed to fit with that, but uh, more later contemporary uh, commentators, and I think they're right, <clears throat> say that it could be that, but it could be any number of things, right? It could be written about deliverance from captivity or siege or famine or, or any number of troubles, right? 
<clears throat> and the fact is, like I've said, that's the paradigm of the way in which we live, right? We It would be great for us if we could live right here uh, in um Verse 2, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, right? It would be awesome if we could live like that all the time. But the fact of the matter is we live in tension with that all the time. Uh, we live in a place where it is is uh, difficult and, and challenging. And yet then we live in the days where God seems to be quick to respond to us. And, and we feel the deliverance and the grace and the mercy and the power of God in our lives in really profound ways. And so this psalm comes at us and it's divided into two parts. First, the first three verses, joy remembered as we look back and remember the great things that God has done for us. And then joy requested in hope in verses four through six. So let's look at, let's look at one through three to begin with. So joy remembered. <clears throat> so, uh, memory of the Lord's grace, goodness and mercy are always drivers of joy, right? So, Whenever you can think of, whenever you are reminded of things that you cried out to God for and he did those things for you or where you remember where you remember the the grace and the mercy of God. When you maybe you cried out for healing, maybe you cried out for a job, maybe you cried out for a relationship or a child or whatever it was. And that when God delivered you, delivered those things to you, it was ecstatic. It was exciting. It was a, it was a wonderful thing. It caused you to laugh and to have joy, right? So, um, these things uh, are great reminders to us, right? That, that God hears us and that he responds to us, right? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, when he came and he acted on his people's behalf to give them what they needed, to deliver them from an enemy or from disease or whatever, right? And th- these things are particularly sweet and joy is particularly sweet to us uh, in, in that moment where you you see the deliverance of God. For instance, when, when someone Someone is uh, drowning <clears throat> and suddenly a lifeguard dives in and pulls them out of the water and and saves them. They they're particularly sensitive to joy at that moment. Right they're They're delighted that someone intervened on their behalf and 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 saved them. And so that whenever we are fresh with the need to be delivered and God's deliverance is quick and powerful and strong in our lives it causes us to have joy. And so you know that there have been many times in your life, right, where where you needed God to do something and he did it for you. And he did it for you in such a way that it, it gave you a, a sense of delight, right? Now, I know that the New Testament commands you to have joy all the time. Right? Right? Well, it's sure easier to have joy when your, when your fortunes have been restored than when not. Now, I, I'm here to tell you, you know, you can't let circumstances determine your joy. <clears throat> but if joy were something that were present with us all the time, we would never need to say to God, we would never need to cry out to him, Hey, Lord, restore my fortunes. Hear my prayer. Act on my behalf. Deliver me in such a way, right? 
And so, so the, the heart of, of, of the people of God is to, for the, for God's grace and mercy to be fresh and to be new and to be present in delivering us and reminding us and showing us that God is actually, there actually is a God who actually sees us, hears us and is for us and is actively at work in our lives and in our world to deliver us, to save us, to be merciful and to be gracious to us, right? But not only is that for us, not only is that so that we can can have this experience of grace and mercy and see how big God is, but look at what the psalmist sees about that, right? He says, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. What happens here is, is that the nations see and hear the joy of the people of God. So the deliverance that God gives to us and the sense that we celebrate that and we, we sing it and we, we shout and we laugh, that those things are attractive to the nations, to the people who are outside. Now, maybe that doesn't make any sense to you. Maybe you're the kind of person who's attracted to bitter, angry people, right? You're like them, right? And so you think, that would be a better way for the nations to learn about God by those of us who are bitter, angry, sourpusses all the time, right? And if that's the way you view it, go to counseling. Because the fact is, the, the truth is that, that, you know, joy is contagious. And particularly joy where we can point to the work of God on our behalf, Right? And so people see that and hear it and, and hear the laughter of the people of God. You know, if, if all people ever hear from the people of God is not laughter, not joy, not a sense of the work of God in our lives, that he's alive and that he hears us and that, that he's at work, then, then the fact is, you know, it, it's no wonder that the nations don't hear the gospel. Why would you? Why would you want to align yourself among people who, you know, their delight is in their bitterness? Right? So, so what, what we see here is, is that God uses this kind of deliverance and uses this sense of our appreciation and our joy and our laughter and, and the nations hear of it and suddenly the cross of Christ, the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the, the work of the Holy Spirit being united with Christ, this great deliverance that He's done for us becomes attractive and they can say, you know, there is a God and He lives among those people and He works in and through them and they have delight in this world because their God loves them, right? So it's a pretty, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful picture, right? However, because we live in a fallen world, this joy will be difficult to maintain until we're in glory, right? And that's, <clears throat> that's what we see here in this psalm, right? <clears throat> the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. 
Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord. So what we live in is this period of time where we see and we celebrate and we recognize the great things that God does, the, the, the profound things that he does in, in delivering us in Christ and, and the profound things that he does in providing for us and caring for us daily. And yet we live in a world where people get sick and they die and, and people lose jobs and people aren't treated with the dignity that they were created to be treated with and just things pile on, pile on. And pile on. And so it becomes this kind of challenge where we continue to go back to God. God, you did this. Do it again. You delivered us. Keep on delivering us. Right. And what you see here in the second half of, of this text is there are two kinds of deliverance, two kinds of restoration that are asked for. The first one is an instantaneous kind of blessing that comes. And the second one is the one that comes over a long, strenuous period of time. Right. Right. So the first one here, the, the psalmist tells us that it's like, it's like this. It's like restore our fortunes like strings, streams in the Negev. In other words, what he's asking for is for God to send blessing like the rainstorms that come to the desert that is dead and brown, no life in it. But when God brings water to it, suddenly within a day or two, it springs to life, right? I don't know. It, I... um I like to follow uh, stuff that happens in California because Californians, forgive me for this, <coughs> I wonder why anybody lives there. Do you ever wonder that? They're due a big earthquake, by the way. Pray for them that God would keep that from happening. Um, but... Because they've gotten so much rain, there's been this massive uh, poppy bloom. <clears throat> Beautiful poppies growing. Beautiful color. And, 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 and maybe, you know, I'm like, why are they making such a big deal out of this? Is this really true? Well, I know it's true because the problem that they're having is all the people, Californians, who are trampling the poppies to get selfies. So it sounds true to me, right? That, 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 that sounds like that sounds that sounds like a true story. That sounds like what people would do, right? Uh, you know, let me crush all these flowers over here so I can get the right picture with this flower over here, right? That that sounds like us. Um, and so what's happened is because they've had some water there, suddenly there's this beauty that was not there before. Certainly God works that way sometimes in our lives. Sometimes, you know, before the prayer is even out of our mouth, suddenly life springs forth or blessing comes to us. I mean, it, it is stunning when, when God does that. Um, years ago, I used to, uh, and I still do this, I study the, the different revivals that have happened over uh, uh, in different places in the world. And the, the one revival that uh, has always been the most... Uh, profound to me was the 1904-1905 revival in Wales. Uh, in 1904-1905, Wales was a dark place. Uh, most of the men who lived and worked there were miners, coal miners. Uh, it was hard work. It was dangerous work. Uh, it was uh, a very, you know, and you, not very lucrative, frankly. A lot of poor people, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of abuse. Little little communities, little churches. One day in a small church in one of the Wales communities. And, you know, have you ever, have you ever seen the Welsh language before? I, I would tell you the name of this, but they got like 27 letters in them with no, with no like 
vowels in them. They're really, you know, and it's, you look at it and you're like, what is that? And it's like Smithtown, but it's like, you know, it starts with a Z and ends with an X or something like that. That's, that's, I, I can't tell you the name. But anyway, there's a boring church service like they always have, always had them, just like the ones we do. Same old thing, boring. And they're getting ready to wrap up the service, and this little teenage girl stands up in the middle of the service and says, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And all of a sudden, people are weeping. People are moved. All sorts of crazy things begin happening. Uh, The gospel begins to sweep through all these little towns and all these coal mines. And a measure of the effectiveness of this was not just the drop in alcohol consumption, which was quite precipitous as a result of this revival. <clears throat> but believe it or not, coal production went down. And the reason why it went down is because the little ponies that pulled the carts of the coal out of the mines only responded to curses. You can look this up. And because those guys quit cursing at them, they didn't pull the coal. Right? Amazing. Out of nowhere, God shows up and does this dynamic, profound thing. Right? It's really irritating that he doesn't do that all the time. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what makes this so challenging in so many ways is if you can bring the streams to the desert, why in the world must I spend my life sowing in tears waiting on the harvest? Right? That's my question. Well, the fact of the matter is the psalmist sees that and, it, and as he, he uh, lays that out before us, that is the other way in which God actually works in and through our lives. And I would submit to you that the more normal way, the more typical way in which God works in and through us is through periods of, of tearful sowing. And that these periods of tearful sowing might go on for years and years and years. Adoniram Judson, the first uh, missionary to what was then called Burma, now called Myanmar, waited 40 years for a convert. 40 years. Right? So, so the, 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 the thing that you have to see about this is, is that this is the way where, where most, much of life is, where we cry out to God and we, and we faithfully try to follow and to seek Him and, and to do what He calls us to do in, in, in tears because it doesn't seem to us like any fruit is gonna come ever from our labor, right? Now what you have to see about this is, is that this image of sowing and reaping is a big image in, in the Bible. They're very frequent metaphors, right? So the parable of the sower, right? The sower goes out to sow and, and, uh, the, some of the seed falls on the path, some in the rocks, some in the weeds. But what we know about that is, is in the end, there's a harvest, right? Uh, one of my parents' favorite verses to me was, you know, you reap what you sow. Um, yeah, 
Enough said about that one. Uh, then Jesus says in John chapter 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then the great passage from 1 Corinthians 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. Occasionally blessing comes out of nowhere, but often joy only comes after hard work and much pain and sadness. One of the hardest things for me to figure out when I first got into this business uh, 33 years ago was it was my expectation with all the resources God had given me, with all the gifts, with with all the, the great truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, that it was a cinch. All you had to do is show up and say things and revival would break out. Everybody would get converted and soon you'd be out of a job. Right. But the fact is, the truth is, God's under uh, no he's not under my timetable about from the time in which I sow until the time in which he brings about harvest. And it's a pretty profound thing for us to understand that sowing ends in the harvest of life. But between the time of sowing and the harvest, there's something that dies. Right. The seed must die. So that there's a, a, a resurrection, a new life after that, right? And so what we have to see about this is that there's no resurrection without death, right? I got this uh, quote uh, loosely from Martin Luther, the uh, German reformer. We are frequently troubled by thoughts of despair. For what human being is there who could be without this thought? What if God did not want me, you, to be saved? What if God is really not for me? But we are taught that in this conflict, we must hold fast to the promise given us in the gospel, which is sure and clear. But when this happens, Satan does not cease immediately, but keeps crying out in your heart that you are not worthy of this promise. And the answer to that is, of course, I'm not worthy of this promise. But it's all I have, and it's what God gives me, right? That the promise doesn't come to me because I'm worthy. And the promise doesn't come to me because I'm a particularly good sower. The promise comes to me because this God loves to restore the fortunes of his people for his glory and for their good. And he hears us and he sees us and he responds to the cries of his people. (coughs) So one day, one day, the whole universe will rattle, rattle to the laughter of the people of God in his presence in glory forever and it will be clear to everyone that those who sowed in tears spend an eternity in laughter and joy so that all will see and all will know that our God is faithful to his promise to bring about harvest when we're sowing in tears. <clears throat> so, of course, what do we do? We have to take refuge uh, in his promise, right? We have to take him at his word and trust him that as we sow, <clears throat> he will faithfully bring about a harvest. And so I keep sowing. You keep sowing. That's what life is in hope. Next slide. And so that's why this is a great thing for us at this time of year. Lent, 
with the period of time we've gone through is for Easter. <clears throat> We're going with Jesus to the cross, not as a destination in itself, but because that way lies redemption and resurrection. Jesus redeems. Jesus rises from the dead, and we get life in and through him. The joyful harvest is sure because the promise is sure. That's our hope. And that is the thing that keeps us sowing, even with tears, knowing that our God raises the dead. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. <clears throat> Let's confess our sins. Lord Jesus Christ, by your steadfast love and atoning sacrifice, you took our place and proved yourself to be the friend of sinners. You were punished that we might be pardoned and broken that we would be made whole. In your resurrection, you demonstrated your power over death and secured our future, triumphant, redeemed, and blessed eternally. While we await your return, we confess that we have been faithless and anxious in heart. In our restlessness, we have sought restoration for our souls and a salvation of our own making. Apart from you, we find ourselves dangerously proud, alone and worn. Forgive us, Savior. Renew our faith and restore our hope. You have done great things for us, O Lord. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. So Lent begins on uh, Ash Wednesday with us being reminded that we are dust. And we go uh, to Easter Sunday where we are told, because Jesus lives, we will live forever. Both of those things are true, right? And so what happens between those two poles of our experience is sowing tearfully often and waiting to reap in joy. The great news for us is, unlike so much of what we do in life, there is a guarantee that God will give us the harvest of joy if we're in Christ. And so as we come to his table today, we are reminded that Jesus Christ lived and he died, that we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes. And we look eagerly forward to the day where there will be no more tears, no more need to sow in tears, that all will be joy, to greater joy, to greater joy, to greater laughter, to greater joy. That's our hope. And that's what moves us, and that's what motivates us uh, to entrust ourselves to the very promise of God in Jesus Christ. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope except that, except what the promise of God, uh, and that uh, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he invites you today to again be renewed and restored and reminded of the goodness the love of God for you, and the promise, the promise that a harvest of joy is coming. Uh, As uh, the elders and deacons come down front to assist me, let me remind you, the outer ring is wine, the inner rings is grape juice, Uh, all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.